Well, I hope you were paying attention during the children's sermon. It doesn't get any easier. <laughs> and, and I want to say that, it, you know, reiterate that this is not, it, what we're going to tackle today is not an easy passage. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Um, you know, when you read through commentaries, when you read through, um, you know, people's explanation of different scriptures, rarely is there ever kind of like a preface to it, but as I was going through, the one commentary actually had a preface to this section, to this, these 14 verses, saying that this is the hardest 14 verses, the hardest section in Romans, which scholars have been debating for centuries. Um, and so we want to approach this text in humility. Uh, we want to approach, uh, if, um, if you leave here thinking, I know exactly what it means, I've probably done you a disservice kind of one of those. If you remember uh, when um, uh, the former chairman of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan, uh, was, was in office, he said, if I seem unduly clear, then I am not speaking correctly. Uh, and that's kind of what this passage is like. So if I get through this and it seems unduly clear, um, maybe reread it um, or come explain some things to me, because this is a tough passage. Um, <laughs> As, as we're beginning, though, I want you to think about what kind of regrets do you have in your life? You're never too old for a regret, are you? We can have regrets at, at any point in our life stage. And I want you to think about what are those things maybe that you regret as a, as a kid or maybe you re regret from when you were younger things you did or things you didn't do that you would have liked to have done. Um, regrets in family or in professional settings because those are going to come in handy in helping us illustrate this text. And as we approach uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, we're going to talk about the fact that life in Christ means that the power of sin is broken in our lives. So if you leave with nothing else, leave with that. Life in Christ means that the power of sin is broken in our lives. Um, and we're going to talk about that in terms of the power of sin being broken. We're going to talk about that in terms of being free to be transformed then as well. So let's open to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. We're in the middle of an argument. Paul just talked about uh, grace increases uh, all the more when sin increases. And so we pick up in 6.1 and he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the, old, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him." For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, 
count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself as, uh, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we have heard your word, and we may be reeling in confusion. Certainly, we give you thanks for the ministry of your servant, Paul, and the ways that he has proclaimed life in you. So help us, knowing that this text is full of life, help us to understand it, to open our eyes to see, to open our ears to hear, to open our hearts to understand, and so respond to the good news that you proclaim through your son's death and resurrection. Help us understand, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and our bodies, that the power of sin is broken and that we may live new lives for you. Strengthen my words during this time, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind, but you, O God, hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. As I was saying, this is a difficult passage. And we're going to start off with this idea that the life in Christ means that the power of sin is broken in our lives. The power of sin is broken. You know, how many of us have made peace with our faults? Things that we've, we've kind of made peace with who we are after a, a number of years we we go ahead and we say, uh, you know what, this is just who I am. I'm not going to change it. Um, you know, for years and years, I have tried to be the on-time person. I, I just can't seem to shake it. Um, perhaps there are other things about you. you. Perhaps you are the perfectionist. Perhaps you are the person uh, where everything needs to be neat, and, and you just can't overcome that. Perhaps you're the person total opposite, where you just want to organize everything, but you can't. just kind of always looks like a bomb has gone off in your house, and that's just the way it is. Um, you know, at a certain point, we start to make peace with some of those faults, some of those foibles, some of those, those quirks of our personality, and we just say, eh, that's just the way I am. Now, there's a certain amount of benefit that there is to that, um, because if we constantly are just irked and trying to overcome our faults, then we can have a lot of frustration. The problem is when that sort of acceptance boils over into our spiritual life as well. Do we have any spiritual faults, any spiritual failings that we have just grown accustomed to and said, you know what, this side of glory, it ain't happening. It's entirely possible that we have, that we, we look at our personality and the ways, our own propensities for sin, and just say, you know what, I, I'm just going to have to manage this until the day when Christ comes again. 
But this passage here in Romans, Paul's, Paul's teaching here, tells us that the power of sin is broken in our lives, and so confessing Christ means a new way of living. Like I said, what Paul is talking about here is this power of sin being broken. And so this new way of being is open to us. What Paul is saying is is that up until we know Christ, we have been slaves. Slaves to the power of sin. Now, Paul uses that language uh, that we are slaves to sin, but perhaps that, that a better way that we can phrase that is that we are ruled by our passions and our desires. You know, some of the, the obvious ones that we talk about when we talk about passions and desires, we can talk about fame, we can talk about fortune, we can talk about um, lustful passions and desires, those sorts of things, but it's not just limited to that, although those are included. Perhaps we have a passion or a desire that rules us for acceptance. Perhaps we are always the one that is looking for an affirmation. We, are, we live by and are driven to hear someone else say, hey, you did that really well, thanks. And we find our, our, our strength in that. Perhaps it is in achievement. We want to be recognized as the best, the brightest, the smartest, the most effective in the room, the wisest in the room. And so we are driven by achievement. You know, we might be the, the one who, who goes after education very rigorously. We might be someone who uh, goes after um, our work life rigorously. Workaholism could be included in that. Perhaps we are people who are driven by our, our desire to be independent, to, to want to accomplish everything on our own. I don't need any help. I don't need any directions. We are not stopping. We're keeping going. I will figure this out. You know, there are a lot of passions and desires that can rule us. The need to be loved the need to create a perfect family, however our mind defines that. Like I said, our need to achieve or our need to be accepted. And, and we, wanna, we want to take stock of those things. What are the needs, what are the passions, what are the desires that drive my life? What are the things that I look for that give me energy and keep me going? Because what Paul is saying here is that we can end up in a situation where we proclaim that Christ is Lord, but we never actually make Him Lord of our lives. We never actually make Him the, the ruler and the great desire of our life. We say, yes, Jesus is Lord, but you know what? If, if I, I'm nothing until I make that promotion. Or I'm nothing unless I'm... I'm a good grandfather or a good grand, uh, uh, grandmother. I'm nothing unless my family is all safe. I'm nothing unless. When we start thinking about things in that way, if we, if we start thinking about our identity, our, the value of our identity being linked to something other than Jesus, then we have not made him fully sovereign over our lives. 
We're still looking for something else. And what Paul is saying is, is that if we are in that situation, that's an untenable situation. We have not actually made Christ Lord of our life. We have not actually, we have not actually allowed Him to break the power of sin in our life. And this is difficult because these are sometimes our desires, sometimes our sins can look like very, very good things. You might be thinking, you know what, what's wrong with having a good family? What's wrong with having an ordered life? Nothing unless they have become the driving force in our life. The reality of our situation is that we can say we love Jesus and that He's our Savior, but our actions show that we're really still seeking meaning, we're still seeking purpose, and we're still seeking validation out of our passions and desires, out of our human nature. We can be here on a Sunday morning and find inspiration and then go and leave and, and are driven by our desire for a perfect home or go back to working on our career or our family. And I'm not talking about what can be a season? Because sometimes there are, are difficult seasons. There are particular seasons in life where things come to the fore and things fade to the back. You know, there can be a season uh, in which we are trying to figure out one of our kids' health needs or our own health needs. And so that rises to the fore and it becomes a major factor in our lives. Any of, any of us who have gone through health issues know that. You go through a season where you're like, I don't know quite when this is going to end, but I know it will end when we can work out what is medically going on. There are seasons in our lives. Parenting has different seasons in our lives. Going to school has different seasons in our lives. Remember the difference between third grade and twelfth grade. A little bit of a difference. A little bit more on the line. The difference between our, our high school diploma and perhaps a college diploma. A little bit different. But there are different seasons, and I'm not talking about seasons. What I'm talking about is the overarching narrative of our lives, the overarching theme of our life. And so what is that overarching theme of our life? Is it that Christ is Lord and that, and that we identify with Him? Or is it that we identify with those things that are driving us? That's the question. If someone were to write the narrative of your life and title it, what would it be? What would be the major theme of that story? What would the action of the plot reveal about you. This is a hard thing to think about because as we, as we read Paul, uh, you know, probably none of us have had that thought in so many words as, you know, you know, I think I'm going to go sin so that grace can increase. Anyone had that thought? Probably not. And so Paul is using a very obvious example to illustrate what is actually really subtle in our lives. What's the driver in our life? What is, uh, what's the main theme, like I said? What are the things that really rule us? 
Does life in Christ truly rule us, or does something in this world rule us? Because what Paul identifies here is that when we are in Christ, we are choosing to be with Him. I used the example in Sunday school uh, that, that as I was reading this, uh, sometimes sports analogies come fairly, fairly easily to me. I grew up playing sports, and I'm watching my kids grow up play more sports than I want them to. <laughs> but there are a lot of great analogies, and, and Paul uses athletic examples as well. And one of the things that I thought as, as we went through this is that when you're playing a sport, you cannot play for both teams, can you? By nature, that would be traitorous to, to both sides. You've got to pick a side and stick with it. You pick teams and, and you stay on that side and, and you, uh, you stick with that allegiance. You know, if, the first question that I get when people find out that I was born in, Pitts, in the Pittsburgh area, but I spent a good majority of time in New England, their first question is, you're not a Patriots fan, are you? <laughs> Allegiance to a certain area means that some things are naturally excluded. And that's what Paul is saying here, is that when we are, he says, baptized, but what he's going for there is converted to Christ. When we choose Christ, when we have been united with Christ, we are choosing to exclude all other ways of life. If you've ever been to a wedding, you know that the language in a, in a marriage uh, service talks about excluding all others when it comes to the bride and the groom. That they are going to exclude all others by nature of choosing one another. And that's what Paul is getting to here, is that when we are with Christ, we don't, can't come up with, with secondary loves. We can't come up with, with things that are, well, you know, I love Christ, but I'm also just kind of this way. We have been freed from the power of sin. And what Paul is saying is that when it comes to sin, there, there is no sin that is too small because we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? I gave the example in Sunday school, how many of us would post bail for someone who got a DUI so they could go back to drinking? It's a ridiculous idea, isn't it? Our hope is that they would be freed from something. Our hope is that, that they would not go back to something. Sin is exactly what has separated us from God. It's exactly what has separated us from Christ. Why would we stay in it any longer? And yet, as we go about our days, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have just sins that particularly claw into us? And we say, you know what, I, I just can't get rid of this. Maybe when Jesus comes. What Paul is saying is that right here, right now, we are already with Christ. Yes, Sin is still going to exist in this world, but the power of sin to rule over us has been broken. What are we going to? What are we, what are we running to when we are afraid or we are stressed 
or when we are anxious? Are we running to Jesus or are we running to those things that don't ultimately fulfill, satisfy, or solve? That's the question right there. What Paul is saying is that we are free from the power of those things and we are free to cling to Jesus. We are joined in his death and resurrection. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self, that sinful self, has been crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We share in Jesus' life, his righteous life, and we can be transformed by that. Okay, down to brass tacks. How do I do that? What are the areas of, we can ask ourselves, what are the areas of my life where I feel complacent and just have grown comfortable with the way things are? Perhaps it is... um, like I said, perhaps it's the desire to have things perfect. Perhaps it's the desire to, to um, have your home a certain way. Perhaps it is uh, certain personality traits, like uh, a certain amount of anger that just exists in your life. A certain amount of apathy towards faith that has grown into your life. What are those areas that are complacent? Usually when when the danger isn't the things that are really, really obvious because those will often show themselves and be corrected out, but it's the areas where we've grown comfortable. It's the areas where we have grown to just accept things the way they are. Let me give you some examples. Perhaps you have religiously uh, eliminated profanity from your life, but you can hold a grudge with the best of them. You view yourself as a truth teller, but you've forgotten that Jesus came with grace and truth. Perhaps you can go to the gym for an hour, but 30 seconds of prayer is absolutely mind-numbing. What are those areas? You know, the, the reality is the temptation is to keep them secret because we are ashamed of those areas. We are ashamed to to name it out loud. We're ashamed to admit that, you know what, yes, I do attend, but you know what, I'm really bad at prayer, and I really don't do it. We're ashamed to admit the way that we, we raise our voice with others and perhaps with our own family because we're ashamed but the reality is we need to name those and to talk to someone about that. You may be thinking, well, uh, that's fine. I'll pass. But let me go back to those regrets for a second. What were, what were they? What are those regrets that you have? I can tell you that for me, I have regrets from my childhood of not actually practicing piano. I wish I played piano far better than I do now. And I'm looking back at, you know, 30 years of what feels like wasted time. What did I do with those 30 years? 
Mozart, symphony by age six? I mean, come on now. Perhaps uh, as well, I, I regret that I didn't have as good of a work ethic when I was younger. And sometimes that's not our fault. My mom was a single mom. She had lost her, her uh, father and her husband in a matter of four years. In a matter of six years, she lost her father, husband, and was diagnosed with cancer. She was doing the best she could. But it meant that I didn't exactly have the same discipline as my older two brothers. What are those regrets? Now, here's the question. Maybe, maybe the most crystallized way that we can talk about this passage in terms of living in a way that, that weeds sin out of our lives we get to the end of our lives and we are before the throne of grace, do we want to have the regret of having ignored Christ for 30, 50, 70, 90 years? To have always said, you know, yeah, I, I, I know I need to do better, but we never do. To know that we need to prioritize Christ in our lives, but, but there was always something more pressing. To know that, that we wanted to, to prioritize faith, but the things of this world always got in the way. That we end up paying a lifetime of lip service to what we confess is the greatest part of our life only to realize that we squandered it on things that will never last. Let me see if I can get this just a little bit clearer. Two days ago, a pastor died. And, and uh, if you're not familiar with him, uh, his name is Tim Keller. Tim Keller had a profound effect on a number of people. Uh, he was a pastor uh, of a Presbyterian church in New York City, Rede Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Um, you know, he ministered for uh, since 88 to 2016, I believe it was, 15 or 16, in New York City. One of the hardest places spiritually in the United States, and arguably in the world, to talk about faith. And he did not compromise the gospel he went through that entire time without a major scandal. And as he was, according to his son, in the last couple days of his life, he requested that his family pray more with him. And he gave thanks to God for them. But he said, and let me get this correct, here is a man hours away from death. And he said, I want to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. This is the life of someone who understood that he was no longer under law, but he was under grace. This is someone who understood that, that the power of sin had been broken and that an entirely new way of life was possible. Tim Keller was uh, converted to the faith in college. He was at Bucknell, 
uh, through the ministry of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And he left uh, after he graduated from Bucknell. He went to seminary immediately afterwards, took up the call, and never looked back. What would it be like for us to understand that we are united with Christ, that we are dead to the power of sin and alive in Christ Jesus, and to live lives that look like that? That would require a, a, a massive shift. That would require some deep self-examination on, on both the personal level and in the corporate level. We would be reminded that we serve a holy God who calls us to be holy as well. We died to sin. Let's not live in it anymore. Let's seek the peace of the city. Let us seek the sin that would try to have us. In Genesis uh, 4, uh, I believe it was Cain was told, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. In our tradition, we can get so caught up with the education aspect of things that we forget we are called to be holy. just as it says at the beginning of this book of Romans. My desire for you is that you live a life where when that day comes, and we've, I've sat with a number of people when that day is approaching, that you are able to see, I say, just like Tim Keller, I want to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. I've seen the alternative. It's fraught with anxiety. It's fraught with regrets. And it's fraught with pain. So let me ask you one more time, right now for this day, where are those areas that you need the transforming life of Jesus? To be reminded that the power of sin is broken in your life and you are free to be transformed. Let's pray. Lord, this, this passage will not leave us alone because you have not left us alone. You didn't just die and go away, but you left yourself through your Holy Spirit in us so that we might lived, live new and redeemed lives. So that we can see the the toxicity of sin in our lives and desire the pure wholeness of life in you. Lord, where there is sin in us as a community, as individuals, help us to root it out, to confess it, and to turn to you the power of your death and your resurrection and know that that power is in our lives as well. Where there is confusion, open our eyes. Where I have spoken wrong, let that, those words fall 
harmlessly away. And let your gospel dwell in our hearts in a powerful way so that we may live for you. All this we ask in the name of, our, of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.